John 17 and verse 20 to 26. John 17, verse 20 to 26. So let me read that for us today. This is Jesus praying to his heavenly father. And he says this, I don't ask for these only, these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I would guess if you had a choice how, how to spend the last few moments, maybe the last few hours of your earthly life, I'm guessing that you would want to gather around people that are very, very important to you. And I'm guessing that you would want to tell them how much you cared for them, how much they mean to you. I would imagine that would be a part of how you would want to spend your last few hours. My guess also is, is I think that if you had a measure of influence on them, or if you felt some sort of responsibility to them or for them, you would want to make sure that they knew what you valued and what you wanted for their lives. I would imagine you would spend a few moments pouring into them. This is such a special portion of Scripture in John 13 and John 14 and John 15 and John 16 and John 17 that we've been looking at throughout the last few weeks. Because we're hearing the, the very last major block of teaching and conversation that is recorded that Jesus had yeah, I know Jesus still speaks. And I know even after the resurrection of Jesus, he will meet with his disciples, but we don't have any block of recording quite like this one. And it means the world to me that in this final chapter, John 17, that we've been reading through, it means the world to me that he spends one complete chapter, 26 verses in our translations, praying for us. He spends a whole chapter in prayer, praying to the Father for disciples. What was on his mind that most important evening? His disciples were. We've looked at this, and we're going to see even in a second, it's not just that those disciples were, but even we are. And again, we'll get to that. Our spiritual well-being was on his mind, so Jesus prays. This is our actually our fourth week in John 17. And I've intentionally like, let's take our time listening to this prayer of Jesus for us. Let's make sure we understand every one of these requests. 
if he spent time praying for us in this way. So just a quick review. Here are the things that we've covered over the last several weeks in John 17. Here are the things that Jesus prayed for, for his disciples, for us. So in verses 1 and verse 5, he prayed that the world would know and recognize his glory. Glorify your son. He prayed that he would be glorified, that people would really see and know exactly what he's like. Because when the world sees what Jesus is like, and they bow the knee to him, their lives, this world changes. He prayed also in verse 11, he prayed that these disciples would, that their lives would reflect the character of our heavenly father. He prayed, keep these disciples in your name, in your character, that they would reflect who, you're, who you are, what you're like. Jesus also prayed a third request. He prayed that they would be protected. We looked at this last week in verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. Protect them. Guard them. They're in a hostile environment. He prayed in verse 17. He said, sanctify these disciples by truth. Your word is truth. What is, he, what is he praying there? He's praying that there would be a marked contrast of their lives from the world. He's praying for that to happen, that you and I, as followers of Jesus, would look different than the world that we live in because we've taken in the truth. Our life is dedicated. It's marked out for God's purposes, not just for our own agenda. That's what he's been praying for to this point. Several requests here, but he's still praying. I read it just a moment ago, but in verse 20, he, he says something very, very important, and I, I so want you to catch this, because he says in verse 20, I do not ask just for those that are here, but I also am asking for those who will believe in me. So there's a, a future element to who Jesus is praying for, those who will believe in me through their word. This is amazing. Jesus looks beyond those 11 in the room at that moment, and he looks to others who would believe that would come to faith through their message. So the disciples the, the apostles here, they, they preached messages and they, some of those messages were, were written down and recorded and, and have been given generation after generation. And so we're even reading the words. He's, he's praying for us. We have come to believe through the words of these disciples. So actually, it's not a stretch to understand here that Jesus in John 17 is praying for you. Praying for you you in Delaware, you in Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or wherever you might be watching this, to think that the Son of God had us on his mind that night. We know who Jesus is praying for, but what is he praying? How does he close out this prayer? He says he pray, he, it says that he prays in verse 21 that all the disciples, all the ones who follow Jesus, all those who apprentice their lives to, to Jesus, that they would be one. He says, that just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world would believe that you have sent me the glory that you've given me, I've given to them so that they would be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world would know you sent me and love me. You heard it, I think, three times, one there in verse 21 and in verse 22 and, and even there in verse 23, that they would become one. Jesus prays for unity. Jesus prays for unity, our relationship with each other. He prays that we would be one. Unity, being together, being of one mind, one heart, one soul, being united 
together, living in him, him living in us, us working together in sync, in harmony. Two people acting as, as one. It, the, the pictures, I mean, we have pictures of this. We, we know that in marriage, the, the intent of God is that the two become one flesh. They share ambition and they share joy, but they also share heartache. They're, they're merged together. Their lives come together. We can also think of other analogies in, in sports. We think of a team together. We think of maybe even rowing together or some athletic competition where they really, really are together operating as one. You think of even music. You think of singers or instrumentalists all coming together just to, to produce a sound, a, a united sound that may have a harmony. It's certainly distinct, but it's, it comes together in a way that is one. We know what this is like. And Jesus is praying that his disciples, you and I, would be one. That may seem like a, ba- a really basic request. Like, uh, is he just praying that they'd all just get along? Is that what he's asking? But it actually runs so deep because the way he says, the way he says it, where you're paying attention, he says, I want them to be one. But he casts that in relationship terms. As we hear him talking about us being one, we realize that he is talking about us being caught up in a relationship with father and son. So just as God the Father and Jesus the Son, we, we just sung a moment ago that we believe in father and son, just as they are one, distinct, but, but one, we'd be caught up into that. And that would extend to us. Those words are interesting in verse 21, verse 23. The father is in the son. Verse 21, the son is in the father. Verse 21, the disciples are in father and son. Verse 23 and verse 26, the son is in the disciples. Everything's united. Father, son, disciples all together. They don't lose distinction from each other, but there's unity. They're one. That's what Jesus wants. There's a relationship in view. But when Jesus talks about this, he, he drops the word in glory. He's talking about something where he is choosing to use the word glory in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. There's glory in what Jesus is praying about. A few weeks ago, we talked about what does the word glory mean? And I gave a simple description that God's glory is the infinite worth of God's perfections put on display. The infinite worth of God's perfections going on display so everybody sees them. Jesus is saying, I want them to be gathered. I've given them the glory. I've given them the glory that you gave me. I've given them the glory of your love and your mercy and your justice and your holiness and your patience and your power and your grace. I've given them that so that they might be drawn together. All those attributes and characteristics, all those perfections that radiate from God, he's given them to us that we might radiate them as well. Because Jesus has given us that. He meant for us to be one. As I read of father and son in this passage, I kind of ask the question like, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Is he present in here as well? I don't think he's missing at all. He cannot be too far away because it is the Holy Spirit who brings illumination and brings life and assures and seals and our lives come together in him. He also is the one that drives us to make much of Jesus Christ. And when we are talking about God's glory, it is a work of the Holy Spirit when that happens, when we see that. So what this passage is saying, hear this well, what this passage is saying is that our individual walk with God, yours and mine, those matter, those are important. 
But Jesus is praying beyond that, and he's praying for our, our walk together. That's on his mind. It's an amazing picture of us being united that Jesus has in mind. So what do you think, church? Are we anywhere close to this picture? Are we anywhere close to it? Is Jesus giving us this picture? And I wonder if Peter and James and John and Andrew and Thomas, all all the ones that were hearing it that night, did they think, oh yeah, this is, this will be easy. We never disagree on anything at all. This surely will happen. We'll all be together in this. I, I, Jesus, your prayer is, might as well already be answered. It's, it's going to happen. Is, is Jesus painting a, an unrealistic picture here? Or is Jesus painting a picture that like, and, and you've seen this, you've seen pictures uh, of a condo or a house or a place and it like looks amazing. And then you get there and you go like, man, that was some really flattering photography there. It really doesn't quite look exactly like, is that what Jesus is doing? Kind of giving us this grand vision of this being one, but frankly, it's just never going to quite look like that. I, I know, I know that Jesus isn't like a hopeless optimist. Jesus is certainly a realist. He truly wanted his disciples to be united. And at the same time, I, I'm confident he knew it'd be hard. You and I have a tendency sometimes when we think of the early church, the first church, kind of think of it like, oh, they, they all got along. If we could just get back to that church in the, you know, right after Jesus left, like if we could get back to that, but all you have to do is take a stroll through the New Testament and you realize Peter and Paul sometimes disagreed. Sometimes they had to work out their disagreement. Paul confronted Peter because of an area where he saw lacking in Peter's life. And then you think, well, Paul and Barnabas, if, a, if Barnabas is named the son of encouragement, if that's his nickname, like who's going to ever argue with Barnabas? Well, Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement and they split going their own ways over a ministry partner. And then you just go through the books of the New Testament. You go in Romans where it talks about the weak and the strong and those both have to come together and live out their convictions together. How are they going to do that? And then you read in scripture of the rich and the poor in the book of James. And it seems like the book of James is addressing a dichotomy there of, uh, of what is going on. The rich are, are taking advantage of the poor. What, what, what is going on here? You see, Jesus is giving this prayer right in the middle of knowing it's going to be very, very difficult for us to live in this world and not struggle. So he's praying for us. He knows our challenges. You think even in scripture of the immature and the mature, the singles and the married, the young and the old. I mean, how much is written in scripture assuming there are gonna be differences? And assuming this is not going to be easy to work through. How about the spiritual gifts and and how those are supposed to be utilized in the body? It's covered in 1 Corinthians. What about meat, whether you eat meat that's been offered to idols or whether you don't? That, That may not be our issue in 2020, but it certainly was an issue in that early church. And then there's the biggest one, Jew and Gentile. And it's hard to read very many books in the New Testament without dealing with that very big difference. Several books talk about those that will stir up endless questions, dumb questions, stupid questions, foolish questions that will just separate people for no, for no reason. The, the New Testament is not blind to the fact that it's going to be hard for us to be one. And I think that's why Jesus is praying. What I want us to see is there's always, there's always going to be potential for division. 
And that potential is going to cause some serious challenges at times, and the church has to work through those even when it gets bumpy. There will always be a need for humility because otherwise, I'm going to think that my opinion is the best in the world and everybody else is an idiot. And there's always going to be a need for humility because otherwise, if we don't have love in this, if we don't have love in our humility, then we'll just go, why bother? Why would I mess with any of these people around me? I don't really like it. We need love, we need humility, and that actually encourages me because here we are, and I hear the prayer of Jesus, and I see the early church struggling and working through this, and I know we have our own 2020 struggles. In the world, in the church, we don't always exactly see things in the, in the same way. We have our own generational challenges and challenges of class and status for sure. Even in the last weeks and months, we've seen there are differences of opinions on a virus that it doesn't seem like any of us can quite figure out. And, and, and we think, okay, I should do this. I shouldn't do that. They should, we should, we, nobody should. I, I think of certainly the racial divisions and, and certainly black and white. And, and what does it look like when we keep pursuing healing and understanding? But how does it also look in a, in a body that reflects all nations? That's what we want our church to be. And What does it look like when we have that vision that Jesus had where all nations come under him? What does it look like for us to be together, to be one? What does it look like for us to live out our faith where there's so so much political polarization, you name the issue? And it seems like it'd be easy to divide over everything, even, even small things we could divide over. Jesus was praying for us. He was praying because, because there was something very, very big at stake. And what's big at stake in this passage is how the world is going to respond to this life-changing message that he is bringing, how the world is going to respond. So Jesus is praying that they be one, knowing in, in a few short moments, he's going to a cross. And that cross is going to be the dividing line for all of history. Isn't that more important than the divisions? I think he's praying because he is praying that the world might respond to this message and might believe in verse 21 that Jesus is the sent one. He's the Messiah, the world changer, the one who can right all wrongs. Don't we want the world to see that? Don't, doesn't that matter more than like humiliating someone into our opinion? Doesn't that matter more? That Jesus be lifted up and everybody see him? Doesn't, doesn't it matter? I mean, Jesus knew big things were at stake. He knew that the world is going to respond to this message and he wanted the world to know that his being sent of the Father is an extension of the Father's love for the disciples, really the world. Doesn't that mean everything to us? Wouldn't we sacrifice some things if the world would come to know Jesus as Messiah? Wouldn't we measure our words carefully if it would mean the world would come to know that Jesus went to a cross and took nails for them? Where can we find unity even in differences of opinion? Can we not find unity in that our salvation comes through Jesus Christ, not of our works? Can we not find unity in our mission, in the truth claims and authority of Scripture? Can we not find unity in our identity and the, the identity of Jesus and his message? Can we not find our, our unity in being image bearers of God? This is more than everyone getting along. Jesus is praying for something deeper than that that night. This is whether people in the world will truly see his love in high definition, in clarity because of you and I, whether they will get that he was sent on a mission to rescue everyone. There's one more prayer request that Jesus has. And for me, it seems like 
it just really brings this chapter to a close, a really good close. I love the setting of this final request because I'm just going to ask you to remember John 13 where Jesus, because he loves his disciples, washes their feet, even washes Judas' feet. I want you to have in your mind John 14 where he knows his disciples are getting a little bit nervous because he's talking about leaving them because he loves them. He kind of tells them what's going to happen in the next few days. I want you to have in mind John 15, where Jesus is not ashamed to be with his disciples, but he, he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You're part of me and expresses his love to them. So can we listen to the last few words of the final prayer of Jesus before he would go out and be betrayed, arrested, condemned, and executed? This is what he prays. Father, I desire that they also, the ones whom you have given me, I desire that they would be with me where I am. I desire that they would see my glory that you've given me before, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus closes out this prayer, praying for unity, yes, but he also prays for closeness. You could even say communion. He's thinking about our relationship with him. And Jesus wants us to be close. He speaks of us in this term, those whom you, the Father, have given me. You've entrusted them to me. They're mine. I want to take care of them. I want them to be with me where I am. It sounds so much to me. Like John 14, verse three and four, he says, and if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come again and take you to myself because this is what I want. I want where I am. That's where I want you to be also. You will be with me. That's why we talk so, I mean, we're just unashamed. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus because Jesus wants us to be with him not just going through religious formalities, but Jesus wants us to be with him. And he says something else. He, he says, I want, I want these disciples to be with me so that they would see my glory. If they're with me, they're going to see something about me, something that's been true before me, before there was, uh, about me before there was even a planet earth. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with an unveiled face would behold the glory of the Lord we being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. All this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We would see his glory and we would be transformed by it. Jesus wants us to see his glory. And those disciples had seen it, but they had only kind of seen it through a veil. They hadn't seen it fully. Jesus says, I want them where I am because I want them to know exactly who I am. I want them to know exactly how deeply I love them, how deeply just I am, how much the cross would cost. I want them to know the deep affection I have for them, not partially, because we're just ignorant and blind without him. We're not going to know. So Jesus, is, Jesus wants us to know. We can't see, we don't know, apart from the word of God doing something in our hearts. Jesus says, I want them to know I was right there at creation creating the world. 
I want these disciples to know that I am the redeeming lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And I don't want them to have any veil on that. I want them to see it clearly. I want them to know that I am the one who's been loved by the Father, loved before the foundations of the world. I'm so filled with love and I'm looking out. And because I love the world so much, I'm extending that love to them. I want them to know that. I want my love to reside in them. Listen to how the prayer closes. He's praying like, righteous father, the world doesn't get this. The world without help just stays in darkness. The world doesn't know the father. It doesn't know the mission of the son. It doesn't get it. But he says, I know you. I know you. And because of Jesus giving us his word, we know who the father is now. And we know how he has sent the son. There's hope for the world. And he says in verse 26, the last, the last verse in this chapter of, his, of this great prayer of Jesus, he says, I've made known to them your name. I've shown, us the, I, I've shown them your character, Father. I'm gonna continue to make it known and I'm going to do it so that the love with which you have loved me might be in them. So what does Jesus pray? What does he talk about right before he crosses the, Kidron Brook goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he'll be betrayed. What, what is on his mind right there at the end? It's that you and I would know how deeply loved we are and we could rest in that. I want the love that I've experienced, Jesus says, to be experienced by them. I think that may be the best place for us to close today because I want you to know that you are loved. Loved even as you're a sinner. Loved even as you could come up with a million reasons why you might be unworthy to be loved. Loved enough to, you are loved enough to remake you into the image of Jesus Christ. Loved enough that Jesus wants you in his presence for eternity. I can't force you. I can't force you. I mean, I'm talking to a camera and I can't force you to do anything with that. I can't manufacture something that'll change your heart. I can't, I, I can't in my own strength turn light bulbs on to go, oh, I actually am loved. Although lots of people have disappointed me. I'm loved by God and that's not gonna change. I, I can't do anything to to force that on your heart. But if God is doing something in your heart, what I can do is just be a mouthpiece for him today of his love for you to remind you he promised to love you and he sent his son on a rescue mission in love for you and how deeply I want you to know that. What I can do is tell you that there is also a church here ready to walk with you as you explore what it means for you to be loved by God. There's a church right here. We'd love to have that conversation. How can we help? Could you reach out to us and let us know? What I can do is invite you, invite you into that. And what I can do is I can join the prayer of Jesus for you this morning, praying that you would know how deeply he loves you. So let, let me do that, all right? Father, I thank you for your wisdom and your grace in making sure this prayer of your son was recorded. And I'm grateful that I get to read it today. And I get to know 
that on the night you were betrayed, you weren't thinking of yourself, but you were thinking of your disciples. And truly, I've read today, you were thinking of us. And in your last request, you prayed that we would be with you where you are. And Lord, we long for that day when we fully taste that, even as we partially know you are with us today through the Holy Spirit. Uh, But Father, I pray for that person that does not know your love in that personal of a way today. I pray that their eyes would be open and they would see you created this world to express your love. And although we are fallen and we have turned from you, you came to us in love that we might turn from everything else and trust in you. That we might place our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, taking the wrath, taking the sin, absorbing that, that we might know nothing but love. So I pray that somehow in your amazing work, you would take this love and you might just radiate it out from even this broadcast, and there might be those that know your love in a deeper way today. Do what I am not able to do. Speak to deep into the hearts and assure us of your love. We thank you for the deep, deep love of Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen.